welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. In a nice turn of events, we are all in attendance for this episode where we will be discussing the new Joseph Gordon-Levitt film, 7500. So, with me today are Simi and Mary. Mary, who the hell are you? I'm good. I'm glad to see your lovely wee faces, both of you. It feels like ages since we've all been together, so I'm glad the gang's all the gang's all here. It's nice that you refer to my face as we, considering the amount of ice cream and biscuits <laughs> I've been consuming over the last couple of months, so thank you very much for that. No, Thomas, not a problem. <laughs> Thomas, how are you doing? Yes, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm getting confused with the lockdown rules, so I've just stopped reading them, and all I want to know is, can I travel to Carlisle to go to the cinema? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a few tweets to that effect already. People saying, damn, I'm going to have to travel to Carlisle to see, I think it was a Trolls film they were yeah. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be interesting when it actually hits. Uh, for all our listeners who are not in Scotland or do not know us, uh, we are based in the west of Scotland area, so therefore we are still subject to certain lockdowns, which include the fact that we can't go to the cinema anytime soon. It's not even been announced when we can go to the cinema. So we are basically using the podcast to cover films that are not out at cinemas and mostly getting home releases which is the subject of today's film, which I mentioned briefly at the top of the show as being 7,500. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, your captain. I'd like to wish you a nice day and thank you for your trust in us. So guys, We have a 7500. Several men attacked our cockpit. We stopped them for now. The captain is injured. Status of the crew, I don't know. They have a hostage. They're going to kill him if I don't open the door. Don't stop, please. I can't open the door. This is a film that I suspect wouldn't have got a major cinema release to begin with, but here we are anyway. The film 7500 relates to the aviation term for a hijacking. The story is that there is a flight that is going between Berlin and Paris, which initially all seeming well, everybody's okay. They get up to cruising altitude and then suddenly all hell breaks loose with a number of people who are on board trying to take over the plane. There is a bit of a struggle, there's some action and the drama unfolds from there on the flight between Berlin and Paris. Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars in this film. He is the American co-pilot on the plane and it's pretty much told from his perspective in that the film is shot entirely from the cockpit of the plane and I believe there is maybe only one scene where you are not front and centre with the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. I reviewed the film for the site and I gave it a pretty good review. I enjoyed it for what it was. It was a fairly tight little film. It didn't overstay its welcome or anything, Um, but I'd be interested to hear what my 
fellow scramblers think of it. Mary, what were your opinions on the film? So I'm quite a nervous flyer, so I tend to avoid any plane-related hijack movies. So this actually was, I knew this was going to be uncomfortable viewing, sort of from the offset of looking it up and realising what it was about. I loved how it started, those sort of silent kind of CCTV images of people moving through an airport and you're not quite sure what you're looking for. You're not sure who you're supposed to be focusing on, it's just people moving around. And I totally agree with you, John. I don't think it outstayed its welcome. It was extremely intense because a cockpit is a tiny little place anyway, and the action literally doesn't move from there. I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt gave a really nice, understated performance. It wasn't like over-the-top kind of ridiculous panic. It seemed very realistic. There was a lot of kind of airplane jargon, that sort of thing, which kind of added to that whole thing of it just felt like really naturalistic. I thought it fell down a little bit in the third act, Obviously, won't go into spoilers, but as I said, I kind of held my breath for a lot of it. There was a lot of scenes where I actually had to kind of look away because I was finding the tension a wee bit unbearable. I just thought it was really well acted and just sort of, yeah, it really holds the tension the the whole way through. It's about a 90 minute runtime. There's not a moment where it really dips. I thought it was really, really well done. I agree with what you say. It probably wouldn't have got a massive release, but as a piece of kind of almost like indie cinema, I I thought it was excellent. Nice. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Thomas, what were your initial impressions of it? Joseph Gordon-Levitt's one of those actors that will attract me to a film. If I see his name attached to it, I will go and see the movie regardless of what it's about, based on him. I think he's a, a brilliant actor. He can do a little wrong in my eyes, and I think he's outstanding in this, especially being that he's carrying more or less the entire movie. But as a film, I didn't love this. I thought it was okay. I felt I loved the idea, I loved the premise, and when it started, it was this really slow burner to kind of set the tone and set the atmosphere, and I thought, right, I know where this is going. And then I felt it peaked really quickly and just kind of meandered for most of the runtime after that. Again, the idea, uh, the premise of being trapped in the cockpit and everything set in that one scene, I loved that. I just didn't think it was executed very well. And there were scenes where the kind of planes like flying side to side, reminded me a bit of Red Dwarf. It was just like, let's tilt the camera a little. And I didn't really kind of get the feeling that I was actually on a plane. I did feel the claustrophobia of being in the cockpit, but I didn't really feel the ultimate danger of the flying aspect of it. And that kind of took a lot away from me. And whereas, it, whereas the idea was very tense, I didn't really feel it when I was watching it. I... Uh... I'm somewhere in between you two on this one. I thought it did fall down a little on the third act, which obviously we we won't go into. It it didn't pay off in the way that I kind of hoped it would, given the the strength of the first two-thirds of the film. I would agree with you, Mary, in terms of the, the, the very opening of it. It was absolutely cracking, the way that it was just CCTV footage of the airport, and you just saw some people walking about but it was done in such a way that you focused on a particular person and that was partly based on your prejudices I would say rather than anything not your prejudices Mary obviously you know they're they're well documented but uh, <laughs> prejudices in general because the the people who they were focused on were of a certain type of person whether it be a skin color or whatever they were wearing there was an idea behind that and of course when they're wearing backpacks and things like that you get an idea that something's going to be going on that didn't quite 
pan out in that sort of way because that didn't feature very much in terms of the backpacks but you you were given a, a good idea about what was going to happen even before you actually met any of the characters and then when you did meet the characters when the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character first entered the frame and sat down in fact even before he sat down he smiled at one of the stewardesses as he went in and from there you got an idea of what he was like and what his motivations are going to be. So obviously that formed part of the the second act drama and it gave you a really good idea of his character in general and that played out all through the film. He's, He's not a hero, he's not one of these guys that's going to turn around and be able to basically take on hijackers. He's a particularly good pilot, he knows what he's doing, he had like 10 years experience, but that's what he's good at and he made sure all through the film that he was able to maintain <laughs> maintain the plane in the air more than anything else. He fell back on his training and his experience in order to get through, and everything that he did was for the benefit of the passengers rather than for his own benefit. And I, I liked that aspect of it. I thought that was particularly well done. I have to disagree with you with the, with the cockpit. I thought that was quite good it was very claustrophobic it was quite intense and it made a sort of sharp left turn from the sort of mundanity of the opening where they were just going through their pre-flight checks and everything was all very normal and then suddenly just on basically nothing it just totally ramped up I, I thought that went very well and I thought they made pretty good use of the space considering it's very tight it made it reasonably fresh but there's not as you say there's only so much you can do in these sort of situations, there's only so many ways you can shoot something to, to make it look interesting and fresh. And they, they kind of pushed that a wee bit, they pushed that envelope somewhat. It, as I said, didn't outstay as welcome, but I felt it kind of fell down a little. But that's more to do with the writing rather than the performances, I think. Yeah, I won't criticise the performances. And I don't want to be overcritical of the actual filmmaking or writing itself. But for me, that level of attention wasn't sustained. Like I say, I feel it kind of peaked really early and quickly. And at first, I'm like, OK, he's trapped in this cockpit. There's not a lot of room to move. These guys on the other side of the door, he's communicating them through the little camera. And I don't get a spoiler, but something happens pretty brutal. And you're like, whoa, where's it going to go for here? And for me... It didn't really go anywhere after that. It kind of it ramped up the emotion really quickly. And then the stakes, although in reality it would have been higher from a storytelling point of view and personal to the characters, just felt a bit kind of flat after that. You never really saw there are passengers. You know they're there, but there was no real any kind of visual stakes on the screen other than, yeah, we know there's a plane here and we know he's tried not to crash. I never, I never ever felt the plane was in any real danger. I don't feel the, the characters, for the most part, were in any real danger. I know from a, if, it was, if it was real, they would be, but watching it, I just kept thinking, nah, everything seems kind of out of sight, out of mind as well. And I'm not saying we have to see the passions all screaming in that. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a great job of being scared and a man kind of conflicted in what he should be doing. It just didn't translate to me when I watched it. I didn't feel it. I'm going to disagree with you on that because see when they were doing the kind of pre-flight check air stewards were welcoming everyone onto the plane because you know this is a hijack movie I felt I paid a lot of attention to the passengers so there was like some elderly people getting on young guy gets on with his young daughter 
there was like kind of couples there were sort of people who were obviously you know on a nice holiday together and for me psychologically I was looking at that going I mean are all of these people going to make it out alive or that's a really young girl or you know is her life going to be cut short or that's a really old couple that's a shame so I felt like I paid a lot of attention to the people getting on the plane and actually I didn't need that reminder that they were there because that was very much ingrained in my mind from the the opening of the film and at one point I think there's a constant banging on the cockpit door when they're obviously trying to get in and actually take over the plane and that sort of soundtrack that sort of battered in there I was just thinking there's so many people on the other side of that door and I definitely think that that was always in the kind of forefront of my mind and as John said you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is this kind of like flawed not anti-hero but he's definitely not a hero either and he's making these really difficult decisions and I think that because of the struggles he had making those decisions you were kind of aware of all the other passengers all the time because he just didn't know what to do and he was aware that he was responsible for you know 80 people or whatever it is they say is on the flight so I I do think it's something kind of you're aware of the passengers because I think that's the whole reason why they show them all coming onto the plane and there's quite distinct like vulnerable age groups like kids and elderly getting on and I think that's the whole point of of that scene but I, I might be mistaken. You're probably right I just didn't care. (laughs) <laughs> see like i said i'm a nervous flyer so i pay attention to all these things <laughs> out of this is a scene in die hard 2 there's a completely different film obviously where the terrorists have got control of the plane and it cuts to the plane and you see the stewardess talking she's talking to all the passengers and all the passengers look really really happy and there's this young girl and she's talking to her saying we're gonna land in britain soon but it's really like core blimey of a london accent and you got the old woman and she's quite nervous. She goes, it's going to be okay. Uh, British Airways will get you there eventually. If we may be late, we'll get there on time. And then minutes later, the plane explodes. <laughs> and you watch those scenes, you're kind of like, oh, this is going to end well. There's a wee girl, there's an old woman. Oh, and I, I just felt that was, that t- to me, that kind of really got me grasped and invested. We're here. I totally forgot about that scene when we were rocking on the plane. Something similar that I saw on Airport 75 I watched about a month ago. Oh, yeah. And it's it was pretty much lifted wholesale by airplane. It's just, it's just ridiculous that, you know, there's a small child with a medical complaint, there's nuns, there's all sorts of stuff in it. It's just <laughs> it's just totally bizarre. It just follows the same path as airplane. And you, you can't take it seriously because you've seen that. You can't unsee something like that. It is pretty Air, strange. Airplane is one of the greatest movies ever made, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. I think that's the kind of problem I had with this film for a lot of it was it reminded me so much of other hijack movies. That I preferred and there's one I'm going to speak about later that it really reminded me of but not done any many as good and I think that's probably my biggest issue with the film is I didn't find it a bad film I enjoyed it for the most part it's just it reminded me so much of other things I've seen done so much better and I couldn't help but make those comparisons like, oh that reminds me of that that reminds me of that or oh, that you know just kept, I kept doing that unconsciously. I did like the fact that there was somebody of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character involved in this film because I don't think it would get anywhere near the publicity that it's getting if it wasn't somebody like him that was front and centre on it. It's I think it's a, a good thing that actors like him are actually stepping up and willing to take these roles and be involved in these films. I mean, this is a, a film from Patrick Walrath. It's his feature directorial debut. He was Oscar nominated for a short that he did. I think it was back in 2015, 2016. But this is obviously his first major film. So the fact that he's getting somebody 
like Gordon Levitt to step into it and be involved on something which is obviously a low budget film. It's, there's there's no great set pieces here. It's all done very cheaply, but it's done comparatively well. Let's say. I find that quite interesting, the fact that, you know, the, these people are willing to take these roles on. I mean, he, he could basically do whatever he wanted. He's he's up there at such a level that he can do what films he deems that he is worthy of, but he seems to be taking some interesting roles on over the last couple of years, which is always very good. Yeah, a big fan of that as well. When you see the blockbuster A-list actors doing movies like this and really give them a help, give them a platform... I find it interesting that he wasn't even the original choice in this role. Oh, right, I didn't know that. It was Paul Dano. He was originally attached to it. He's brilliant. And although I had a big fan as an actor, he's not as big an actor as Joseph Gordon. No, 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 I'm not disputing that. No, but that's what I find find interesting, though, because he was originally attached and he dropped out. And Joseph Gordon Levitt was his replacement. So it's it's very unlikely, it's it's unusual in that aspect to see a a much bigger named actor replace you in a very low budget independent movie as this. Yeah, I mean, mean, the budget for this was only $5 million. So in relative terms, that is not a lot of money for a film that's getting a major release, which is is quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, Joseph Gordon Levitt's got his own community production company. Mm -hmm. But... Any of us, well, actually, I have, I have signed up to it and I uh, don't want to brag, but I actually have a, a commission from it in the past. So I actually what? have money I have money paid to me via Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. But no, the fact that he does do stuff like that, this is a guy that really does care about getting projects made. And yeah, I, I, I do agree completely both of you. It's, it's brilliant that and that to the fifth stature is giving this film a bigger platform just by his name being attached to it. Michael Fassbender's good for that as well. He'll go and do like the X-Men, the big budget ones. So he's got the money that he can afford to then cut his fee and go and do, there was that Western film we went and did, Slow West. He'll do something like that and then just by his name being attached to it, more people get to see it. So I like that, it's good. Yeah, and yeah. as we both said, I think that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance in this is absolutely outstanding. He's a really kind of he's a sort of conflicted character, and there's he, he witnesses a lot of horrible things, obviously that happens during the film, and he's this kind of you know the other the the pilot turns around to him and says, you know, how many years experience do you have? And he goes ten. He's like ten. He's like, well, yeah, I'm I'm 31, and he is that sort of kind of plucky young American, but not in the sort of like cocky, arrogant ways. That sort of like almost like the underdog type of character and it's just it's a really excellent performance the whole way through he's definitely not phoning it in or it's not hysterical it's really really subtle it's excellent yeah i mean if, if you're a hijacker and you're taking over a plane and wesley snipes is on it you might start having second thoughts <laughs> but if you see joseph world levy you fancy your chances well i mean that's it at one point he actually calls over the pa system to go like passengers please i'm begging you somebody you know everyone just charge at them try and take them on together and it's like yeah because he's this like he's not this big macho guy which again kind of adds to the sort of drama and tension i guess but no i thought i thought he was just excellent and he, he is a really good performer interesting that paul dano was attached it would have been interesting to see how his performance would have turned out because again i really like him as an actor but no it's really good he's yeah, good could well. see him in the role yeah mm-hmm. yeah so overall i enjoyed the film I would recommend it, I think, as for what it is, it's a film that is currently showing on Amazon Prime, I believe it just premiered yesterday. So I would say, yeah, give it a watch, it's worthwhile. If it was a cinema release, probably not, I would be annoyed until it comes out on home release, but for what it is, 
yeah, it's, it's worth 90 minutes of your time. What do you guys think? Would you recommend it? Yeah, on a, yeah, on a home release platform. As I say, I'm not particularly comfortable watching these movies because I'm, I'm, I'm not good with this travel with air travel so I try to avoid these types of films because I don't need extra thoughts in my head but actually I thought the performances were great it was really tense and you know if you're if you're sitting at home and you're, and you're wanting a good movie to watch I would I would recommend this Levitt's performance totally carries it okay I would recommend this to be fair I mean I know I haven't really watched Lyrico about it in terms of my praise but I would recommend it. it's a decent enough film. It's worth it for Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance alone. Uh, interesting enough, I disagree with both of you that I would. I think I'd have preferred this in the cinema. It's not necessarily warranting a big cinematic release, but I think I'd have found it more immersive in terms of the cockpit and the dark. Although this cinema hall's a lot bigger than my living room, it's darker, and seeing it in the big screen may have been more captivating for me. But yeah, I'd recommend it. It's it's I found it a very average movie overall, but not one I would tell somebody not to watch. Well, it's a bit of a mixed recommendation from all of us, so either watch it or don't watch it. It's entirely up to yourselves, obviously. We can't force you. And if we did, <laughs> then that would be wrong. Because <laughs> we're not allowed to come to other people's houses and intimidate them in these trying times. I was going to Following... say, even out with lockdown, we're not allowed to do that, John. <laughs> <laughs> ah, right, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, following on from our review of 7500, we are taking the theme of hostages and hijacking for our top three picks. Now, we initially just looked at hijacking, but we decided to basically expand it a little to give us a little more scope. The hijacking theme can be a bit limiting, and there would probably be an awful lot of overlap and a bit of fighting and hair pulling, obviously socially distanced hair pulling, but still hair pulling since we've all got long hair now. (laughs) So we are going with a sort of slightly wider theme, as I said. So first up with the hostage hijacking theme is Mary. So can you tell us about your first choices? With relish, John. This is one of my favourite movies ever. I had the pleasure of watching it at the GFT because it is a Christmas movie. It was part of their Christmas schedule. <laughs> so my first pick is 1988's Die Hard, which has got to be one of the best like hostage movies like of all time ever, best action movie of all time ever. Hey now, how you feeling? The whole thing really would rather be in Philadelphia. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. He's an easy guy to like. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis. Die hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Obviously, stars Bruce Willis. It's John McLean who comes to visit his partner in LA. It coincides with her Christmas party on the 30th floor of Makatomi Plaza, lest we forget. And he somehow finds himself in the middle of a massive hostage situation because Hans Gruber, played by the truly wonderful Alan Rickman, has hijacked their office Christmas party. And John McClane is a a New York cop and it's left to him by himself and his best and bare feet to sort of save the entire company. I think this is a film that it's it's so iconic. It's given way to a lot of really iconic movie lines, a lot of really iconic scenes. And as I say, the best experience I've had of watching it was at the the GFT and people actually applauded their favourite lines or they joined in with their favourite lines or they were standing up and clapping and whooping and hollering. I would say it's the first kind of big action movie I ever saw and I was totally enamoured by it. I 
fell in love with Alan Rickman instantly because how can you not? He's like the best movie villain you'll ever see. It's kind of camp and it's kind of kitsch, but there's really good moments of like hand to hand combat. They're you know, kind of big sort of setup scenes, and it's just there's pathos and humour throughout. It's not just like a dumb blockbuster and yeah I think it's one of the best action movies ever made and I think as far as hostage situations goes you definitely want John McClane on your side that's for sure. (laughs) One of these near perfect films as far as I'm concerned you can't go wrong with it there's been so much written about it and talked about it it's difficult to actually come at it from a a different angle and if you come at it a sort of a hypercritical way you're just doing it for the sake of having an argument I think because I can't understand anybody who would who would not like this film. Yeah it's, 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 it's outstanding and you're right John there's been so much said about it we could do an entire podcast just talking about how much we love Die Hard I think we should do that it's a great you idea. <laughs> Movie Scramble Christmas special. Yeah oh we'll all wear jumpers ho 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 now I have yeah. a machine gun. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, as it's just, it's if it's not perfect, as you say, John, it's it's close to perfect you're going to get. It's just absolutely brilliant. There's so much to unpack from it. It's not just a stupid action movie, which there's nothing wrong with that. I love stupid action movies. There's a lot of depth to it. You've got an incredible bad guy. You've got a really grounded and deep hero in John McClane. He's not just your muscle-bound army type character. He's He's fragile, he's flawed, mm-hmm. and he's a. But you even think, it's, it's stupid to think of now, but Bruce Willis wasn't even an action star at that time. So it was oh. really bizarre casting when people saw his name attached, they booed the trailer. Because he was known for, is it Moonlighting? Is that what it's called? Yeah. The Civil Shepherd. So yeah, he was totally, it totally launched his career as well as an action star not his career, obviously, he had a career uh, prior to that. But again, like the, the Joseph Gordon Levitt character, he's a. He's not an anti-hero, but he's very flawed and he sort of makes the wrong decisions a couple of times and he's just sort of wrong place, wrong time. In this movie, I just oh, I just love it. I could I could talk about it all day. Excellent choice. Thomas, what's your first choice? My first choice is the 1997 cult classic directed by Simon West, Con Air. Now, before I start, have you seen Con Air? Oh, yes. Yes. Mary? I've only ever seen the clip of Nicolas Cage where you blow on his face and it makes his hair go. I love this movie. This is a film that should not work for so many reasons, but it does. And for those that don't know it, it's Nicolas Cage plays Cameron Poole. He's an honourably discharged army ranger who is sentenced to 10 years in voluntary manslaughter for killing a drunken man who attacks him and his wife. While he's in jail, this is only about the first five minutes of the film, He's writing like letters to his unborn child and stuff like that. It just it just basically paints this guy up to be he's in jail, he done a bad thing, but it's for the right reasons. Here's your hero. You could, it's really cheesy how it's done. And then for some reason he has to get his flight home amongst the worst criminals to ever exist. You've got rapists, serial killers, cannibals, and John Malkovich plays Cyrus the Virus and he had he but he's incredible. a yeah, and he's the he is the like the the biggest like criminal mastermind, like Slaughter style kind of guy, and he has this plan to escape from the plane in midair basically, and obviously Nicholas Cage, he just wants to go home to his child. They kind of have a conflict, and you know, and hilarity ensues. This movie is a total cheese fest. It's so over the top, but it's absolutely incredible fun. It's got a brilliant cast of say Nicholas Cage. And John Malkovich. You've also got Steve Buscemi. Ving Rhames is in it. Call Mini. 
Dennis Rijo, John Cusack. It's it's just so much fun. It's so quotable. There's so many amazing lines in it. Uh, Steve Buscemi almost steals the entire film with the limited screen time he has as the most evilest Hannibal Lecter-type parody you can think of. And there's a scene when they're all on the plane, they're singing Sweet Home Alabama, and it goes, Define irony. A few idiots in a plane singing a song made famous by a band who died in a plane crash. And it's it's, it's a total really over-the-top action movie, and it is just really entertaining and fun, but there's a scene, I don't want to go into much spoilers with it, with Steve Buscemi, bear, bear in mind who his character is, is speaking to a little girl. And it's one of the most unnerving scenes you've ever seen in a movie because you're like, how's this going to end? Is she on the plane? No, sorry, there's a bit when they land. Oh, right. I was like, why is she on a plane? Is she a criminal mastermind? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know if she was? I haven't even batted an eyelid. But I mean, Nicholas Cage's accent is something to behold alone in this movie, let alone his hair. John Malkovich is. Oh, yeah, his accent's amazing. Put the bunny down. John Malkovich is just like uh, he's tailor made for this role. You can you just tell he's having the time of his life playing this evil villain. Uh, John, you've seen it. Do, do you agree? Yeah, it's completely over the top. It's got a number of over the top performances that only make it so much better. The fact that all the guys actually on the plane are all sort of stereotypical bad guys in one way or another <laughs> and they're all have challenges mentally shall we say none of them are particularly stable so uh, the mere premise of the film of yeah let's all trans let's transport the whole lot of them across the country all at the same time <laughs> plus plus we'll stick Cameron Poe on there because he's just about to be released and we'll just you know and you're going that wouldn't happen but I don't care <laughs> that sounds so amazing I'll we'll try to save money here so uh, we're just having the same flight but Honestly, Mary, I, I, I think you would enjoy this film. It's... Listen, I love a trashy Nick Cage flick. You know that. So, face off. I was just talking about that the other night. It's one of the best, worst films I've ever seen. So, yeah, I, I think it's con you're not on Channel 5 quite a lot, like usually after or before Under Siege. So, I'm going to yes. try and catch it. It has to be. It's not very far away from a TV screen at any time, yes. <laughs> yeah. And t- to be fair, Nicolas Cage looks particularly good. In this film, he is obviously pretty ripped. It was the sort of middle of his action hero phase, and he he does command the screen, and he is yeah. a pretty good action star. Yeah, enjoyed yeah, his I performance. Mean, I mean, it's like you can. There's a million memes made from this film alone, including as, uh, as you say, made the hair and some of his lines in it and his southern drawl accent and things like that. But yeah, it, it's not a bad performance, to be fair. Uh, it's a very respectable action hero. Quite a grounded role as well, but no, considering how I've just described this film, Nicolas Cage is probably the most grounded character in it. <laughs> uh, oh, please watch it. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, no, I'm, gonna, uh, like, I'm pretty sure it is on Channel 5 quite a lot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it, because uh, as I say, we were talking about Face Off the other night and yeah, you can't you can't really go wrong with a Nick Cage movie, can you? Do you know I would actually it is kind of similar to Face Off in terms of that tone of the action movie, mm-hmm. and this is directed by Simon West. I, I always think Michael Bay directed this. All oh, right. Yeah. If you ask me, if you ask me in a pub quiz, I would say Michael Bay. I don't know, I don't know why. I always think it is maybe because Jerry Bruckheimer produced it, but yeah, it's. Um, I mean, this this film is usually successful as well. It's a budget of seventy five million, made over two hundred. Uh, yeah, just please watch it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we 
Do I miss your first pick? My first pick is the 1974 film The Taking of Pelham 123. It's set in New York where four men wearing similar disguises which uh, which is really a pork pie hat, large glasses, a moustache and an overcoat. And they're all carrying things like, it looks like a gift of long stemmed roses in a box or a musical instrument. They all board this six train in the New York subway system and basically take it over. And when the authorities find out what's happened, the first thing they say is, why the hell would anybody hijack a subway train? <laughs> so as it turns out, they have a reason behind this. They have taken hostages, which I think there's maybe about 17 people on the subway train. And the four characters then demand $1 million from the New York City mayor in order to free the hostages. And the drama kind of unfolds from there. It's a bit of a cracking movie, this. It starts with them actually boarding the train at the different stops so that you're right into the action for what it is. It's, there's not a lot of action in this film, despite what you see in the the poster. If you've ever uh, got a chance, have a look at the poster for the taking of Pelham 123, because it's uh, it shows the interior of a subway carriage. There are bodies all over the place. There are guys wielding machine guns. It's all brightly lit. It looks as if it's total carnage. The film isn't like that at all. It's all very sedate, you know, and it's quite gloomy and everything. It's not like that at all. But the, the film itself stars Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, Martin Balsam and Hector Elizondo. There's a fantastic score on this. A guy called David Shire did the score for it. It's quite jazzy. It's very of its time. It's a very 1970s thriller score. And the film just rolls along quite nicely. Robert Shaw hams it up terribly as the English leader of these hijackers. And it doesn't mess about. There's loads and loads of sort of supporting characters in this. You you all have seen them in all sorts of TV and movies from the time. And it just totally enriches it. Walter Matthau at the time was sort of in the middle of his sort of serious acting roles. He'd just come off the back of Charlie, was it Charlie Varick? I think that was a sort of detective thing he'd done maybe just previously to that. He's, he's great in this. He's, he has a nice couple of one-liners. There are a couple of suspect elements in this film with regards to shall we say equality the, f- the few female characters in it are not treated particularly well there's a delegation in the subway offices from the tokyo subway and there's <laughs> there's a few choice phrases used there that you would not get anywhere near these days with the way that they talk about them because they don't think they understand English, which is then played back to them because they do totally understand English and everybody's suitably embarrassed. But apart from those things, it's a cracking thriller. And you you don't kind of know where it's going to go because the premise is so strange to begin with that why would someone hijack a, a subway carriage? It just it doesn't make any sense because for one, they're trapped in a tunnel <laughs> in the darkness. So it doesn't really lend itself to easy escape routes or anything or much in the way of negotiation, but film works. I would say avoid the 1988 television version of it, which is Netflix. It is awful. It is absolutely dreadful. It looks awful. <laughs> it looks as if somebody shot it on video and then took a camera and recorded it from the television. <laughs> well, it was playing in the is really, really bad. And then it was made again in 2009. It was Denzel Washington and John Travolta. Now, obviously, Denzel 
pretty much does no wrong. John Travolta is fucking awful, and he is <laughs> absolute. Oh, he's just he's got one. He's got like one of these sort of beard and moustache combinations, I think, and he just it, it screams, "I'm a, I'm the bad guy. I'm the bad guy," <laughs> uh, and it just doesn't work at all. Not good. So stick with the original if you can find it. I think you can rent it on Amazon Prime just now. There's, you can't actually get it on any of the streaming services as part of the packages, but it's well worth a watch. I watched it again last night just because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I was fresh in my mind for today. Definitely worth a watch. Have either of you seen this? I have, yeah. I've seen original and the most recent remake, and I agree with everything you said regards the comparison to both of them. And if I do recall, John Travolta plays a Robert Shaw character, doesn't he? And I actually think I seen the remake first in I think the original was on T V one time and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna watch this and see what it's like and I just really enjoyed it. And forgive me if I'm wrong here, I'm sure Tarantino done a wee bit of his magpies dealing with this in terms of the code yeah. names for the villains. Exactly, yes, they're all colour coded the names. It's Mr Grey, Green and Blue, I believe it is. Which he fessed up and says yes he took the names from that and it kind of makes sense that they're using code names so they can speak freely to each other and yet not give anything away although at the start the one of them i think it's mr blue who is a train operator he starts talking with the now hostaged train operator and starts telling him about the lines that he used to work and everything and the other guys like yeah just tell him everything don't worry about it you know they'll never <laughs> guess where you're from it's got a really good ending to it which i won't go into because there's not the spectacular that you would think it's quite a small ending to it and it works really well in the context of the film whereas the remake there was a big chase sequence and all this and it's just exactly how you think one of these sort of thriller films would go. So this did something slightly different, which only enhances the film as well. Have you seen it, Mary? Yeah, I have. It's, listen, it's one of my uh, one of my dad's favourites, the original. Obviously not the, the remake. I try to, as much as we're trying to get face off, I try to avoid George Travolta movies just as a kind of, as a rule. Um, but I love the original. It's like a who's who of like really good 70s character actors. And you're right, Robert Shaw totally hams it up. And I just I have lots of love for, for Walter Matthau. But I'm really surprised at that poster that you were talking about because it's it's not a sort of bodies everywhere like you know firing weapons type of thriller it is it's really it's kind of clever and as you say a lot more sedate but it's a really brilliant film I definitely that's a, that's a really good choice yeah I need to Google this poster now because I can't think of it uh, I know I don't know head. what the poster looks like but it sounds hysterical if you have a look in Wikipedia the poster's there oh yeah there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's not the film I've seen yeah that's like the, the poster for a different movie and they accidentally stuck the, the taking a pill and one, two, three on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's definitely designed to get bums on seats, isn't it? Speaking of posters, actually, I'm going to go back to Conair. Uh, there was a, an American poster. They do that whole thing of, well, I'm the star, so I want to be in the middle mm-hmm. of the poster, but my name first. So if you were came across this movie, not knowing who anybody was, you'd think John Malkovich was actually on Nicolas Cage. John Cusack was Nicolas Cage and John Malkovich was John Cusack. Oh, I hate that. That really goes for my OCD. The name has to be above the correct actor. <laughs> nice. Right. Okay. So we're on to our second picks now. So Mary, what is your second choice? So on a more sombre note, guys, um, my second pick is 
Paul Greengrass's 2013 movie Captain Phillips. I was totally late to the party. I, I only watched this like on TV like a, a little while ago. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised because up until I watched it, all I had seen was the I am the captain now memes that sort of spanned out of it, which is a kind of weird thing to pick up on. But basically, it's the story of obviously Somali pirates attacked, attacking a Maersk ship, which is headed up by Captain Phillips, played by Tom Hanks. They sail up in this like implausibly small little boat and start sort of firing at this massive big ship. They come on board, you know, they demand money. And when they decide that the money on board isn't enough, they take the entire crew hostage. It's a really tense film, obviously, because, you know, they're stuck in the middle of the ocean. They're trying to negotiate. Some people obviously see these Somalis as, you know, pirates or terrorists or whatever. But it kind of does little like flashbacks to life in the Somali village and you realise how cripplingly poor, you know, these people are. And it does sort of lend a sort of not an empathetic kind of ear to, to their story, but it's not necessarily casting them as like, you know, hard nut villains either. Tom Hanks is just absolutely wonderful. He is, you know, actually if in real life I was in some sort of hostage situation, I feel like I would want Tom Hanks to do the negotiating. He has that really calm, like understanding intelligence about him and he totally leads this film. And it sort of came out, if I remember rightly, round about the time there was lots of stories in the news about Somali pirates attacking either sort of commercial ships or private boat so it was kind of like of the moment when it came out but it's just it's a really interesting movie in the sense that it doesn't necessarily it does obviously they're they're pirates and they're hijacking a ship but it does sort of give their sort of backstory and explains kind of why these guys have ended up in this situation why they're on the boat why they're asking for money what life is like in their village and then I won't give away any spoilers but the sort of closing scene with Tom Hanks I just burst absolutely burst like couldn't stop crying because it was just such an emotional moment after all of the tension of the film and Paul Greengrass does this really well you know he's kind of known for these sort of films where he sort of holds the tension the entire way through he gives lots of different backgrounds to characters and he just it's just a really good film it's something something that I didn't think I would like but when I watched it I was like no this is actually I'm really enjoying this this is brilliant so that is my second pick definitely good film I was taken with the the character that Tom Hanks mm-hmm. plays, the actual Captain Phillips character, is very well drawn out. Is yeah. he's introduced in a nice way? I think he's travelling towards the ship. He's in the car with his wife, isn't yeah. it? And uh, introduces him. Up this, yeah, homely sort of Tom Hanks, sort of lovely, warm, cosy. Like yes. he's the perfect actor for that role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it sets up how he is going to project himself throughout the film as well in the same way that it was done with 7500 the introduction to the character is how it actually plays out thought it was a fantastic film i (laughs) i've been listening to the kenwood and mail podcasts over the last couple of months i listen to them all the time but over the last couple of months uh, during lockdown they have a tom hanks moment at the end of every podcast they've been doing it since he was hospitalized with covid and it's one of it's an inspirational speech from one of his films and you'd be surprised how many there are and i believe they've covered captain phillips as well and it's just it's just fantastic as you say you you can't really imagine another actor pulling it off in the same way that he did it's a it's a great film it's really really tense yeah to the point where you do no not at all no it's it's very very sort of on the nose it's realistic it's it was interesting. I thought that um, when, like you say, they're, they're uh, rocking up in the wee boats and trying to get on, and the only thing that the people on the boat have got to protect themselves with is water cannons. 
Yeah. And some of them don't work properly. <laughs> You're going, come on, you know, because they're not allowed to have weapons on board it's in case they do get hijacked. And then there's an automatic supply of weapons for for the hijackers, which is totally understandable. Yeah, great choice. Really, really good. Yeah, I mean, have totally. you seen it? Yeah, yeah so, so I love this movie. Um, I think I've seen it in the cinema. I know I haven't seen it. I've only seen it once. I haven't seen it since it came out. And I never seen the trailers for it and stuff. And again, Tom Hanks is one of those actors. He's going to draw me to a movie. And I felt I, I don't know. There's something about it I wasn't really liking from the trailer. I don't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. But when I went to see it. I was just totally blown away. Is he's both said it's it's incredibly tense. It just draws you in from the start. Tom Hanks is outstanding as he usually is in this. Um, Barkat Abdi, who plays the lead hijacker, not really heard of him before. And he just puts in this incredible, like iconic performance. And as you say, maybe there's so much depth to the characters as well. It's not just here's a villain, here's a good guy. Let's concentrate on the good guy. You get some backstory to the hijackers, yeah. uh, other pirates, and you see the village they're from. And again, not going into too much spoiler, it would have felt that. But it really, what could easily be, and I know it's based on a true story, but it could easily be a very downbeat, flat ending. Mm-hmm. It's almost cringy in a way, but not in a bad way, because you're watching it going, ah, oh, how's this happening? Why is this happening? This can't be true. And then it happens, you're like, fuck, Jesus. And it's just, if you were to explain to somebody, it might just sound stupid. But as you're watching it, the tension's still there, and you keep thinking, they can't be, they, this can't be how it ends, surely. And it yeah. does, and you're like, you, you do feel some sympathy, I think, for them in a way. Not in the sense of like, ah, oh, because they've still got a choice to do what they're doing. They're torturing mm-hmm. and, and attacking people. But there is some humanity in them as well. And that really does yeah. help create a really incredible story. I, I love this film. It's a cracking choice. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I didn't fancy it at all when I saw the trailers and just watched it on TV like a wee while ago. But it's one of those films that's it's like what I would call like a sweaty film. It's tense and it just leaves you sort of like at like at, you feel like you've been through the ringer just watching it. So it's no, it's a really good. I like it. It's a good film. I watch other films that kind of have me like that to be fair, but uh, <laughs> used to the own. Enough about your personal collection. <laughs> I am of course talking about Friday the Thirteenth. Why are you going red then, Sammy? Hmm. Why are you going red then, Sammy? T-shirts. <laughs> For the benefit of those not watching, I'm not really looking red. She's just at it. <laughs> you're, are you up next? Yeah, you're next pick. Yeah, I'm um, blushing yeah. boy. Yes. <laughs> I'm also going to keep the tone where it is uh, in terms of the last movie, Disgusting, Not My Face. Uh, and also, interest another Paul Greengrass movie. I have went with United 93, which tells the story of United Flight 93, one of the planes that was hijacked on September 11th. This movie is played out in a real-time account of the events, and I don't want to feel like I'm giving a spoiler here, but everybody knows what happens in this film. It's a tragic tale of the passengers trying to fight back against the hijackers and take control of the plane. It doesn't end well, unfortunately, and the plane crashes and there's no survivors. This movie came out five years after September 11th, so it's safe to say that it was very fresh in people's minds. I was hesitant to watch this movie, and I didn't watch it until about a year or two after it came out, because I thought it's just something quite exploitative about it. I mean, come on, this, like the, this is still really fresh in people's heads. We really need to see a film about what happened. We, we all seem, for the most part, what happened with the hijack, the hij- uh, the hijack planes on September 11th crashing at the Twin Towers. How can you really make a movie 
that captures anything better than the scene, what it does. And this is a very sobering movie. It's not this flashy Hollywood-style presentation. It's done in a very authentic way. And even though you know how the movie ends, you're absolutely gripped from the minute the hijackers take over to the plane to the really harrowing final scenes and the way the movie just kind of cuts to black. And again, I'm sorry if I sound spoilery, but I mean, we all know what happens with the plot here. It's not a film I don't think I'd ever watch again. It could easily come under my list of films only to watch once. It's, it needs to be seen as a fantastic uh, feat of filmmaking. It's not an easy watch, especially again, like I said, when you first see it, how close it was to the original events, but it's so well done. And again, like I say, you know how it ends, you're kind of like, you're rooting for the, the passengers, you want it to change, you want something to be different, and yeah, it's very, very powerful, very powerful movie. Yeah, I agree, I saw it in the cinema, and it's one of the few times where there was complete silence in the screen from start to finish, apart from the occasional sob from various people around the room. It was an extremely emotional cinema-going experience, it was quite harrowing I think it's one of the the only times I've ever just it sounds stupid but you could actually feel the silence it's just one of it's, it was a unique cinema experience it's a really really well done film yeah it's entirely gripping I think that's what I was saying earlier regarding 7500 that reminded me of other movies it did remind me a lot of this in terms of the claustrophobia aspect and the passion just fighting back and all that kind of that realism idea of it and I just kept getting reminded of this and how it made me feel Whereas it didn't feel the same way there, but maybe it's an unfair comparison. They're two different, two different films, different filmmakers, etc. But yeah, this this is a movie that I've seen once. I haven't DVD, and it's really stuck with me. John, you seen it? Yes, very much like yourself. I've only watched it once, and I've got no reason to go back and watch it again. It's quite a harrowing watch. It's quite tense, and you're right. It is very powerful, even though you know exactly what's going to happen i think that's probably the reason why it's so powerful because you know ahead of any of the characters exactly what's going on now i don't think it had very many well-known names or anything in it did it it was quite I don't think it did, no. no it was fairly unknowns shall we say which obviously adds to the tension as well it, it doesn't detract from the, the overall story if you have a cast like that rather than having a particular named person in the lead so yes it was it was particularly powerful i th- thought it was very very good indeed but yeah same as yourself never going to watch it again don't need to watch it again it's, it's an experience more than anything else and that's not to detract from the events that it's actually depicting it's just we've caught the real life version of it and now i've seen the the film version of it as well so i don't think i would want to revisit it in any way it's uh, no. just a, bit, a bit too emotional yeah you're right regarding that actually the, the, the cast i think they were really moving on there's a lot of theater actors in this movie so not a lot of people that are you they're not recognizable from other mm-hmm. things and you're right that really does add to it because it doesn't take you away from oh look there's tom hardy playing a role or like you know there's um McK- I don't know, i'm just trying to think of my own actors here i'm just no. sort, of, sort of total blank yeah. but yeah. You, you don't go oh there's such and such in this movie you don't recognize or i didn't recognize actors anyway and that does really kind of add to that kind of realistic idea because you've and the fact that they're playing real people, that's who you think about. You don't think about the actors playing them, you think about that person. Like, Kaz and Phillips, for example, is based on a, is the movie's a real, a real guy, 
But you yeah. see Tom Hanks and you think about Tom Hanks, you talk about Tom Hanks. Well, yeah, just by the very title of it, it's based around his experiences and from his perspective. So you, you do need somebody you can focus on there, whereas yeah. the United 93 is more of a communal experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I can understand that. Okay, my second choice is the 2006 Spike Lee joint, Inside Man. My name is Dalton Russell. Pay strict attention to what I say because I choose my words carefully and I never repeat myself. Recently I planned and set in motion events to execute the perfect bank robbery. Everybody get down on the floor now! Why? Because I can't. This is a film that stars Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer, who I don't know if he was drafted in at the last minute for somebody else, but (laughs) (laughs) he's there anyway. Willem Dafoe and uh, Chitwell Ejiofor. So it's a pretty fantastic cast. It's a really good director. It's a heist hostage thriller. In a weird sort of although crossover, the film opens with the the lead hostage taker, Dalton Russell, speaking directly to Cameron, saying, listen very carefully, I will only say this once. And he uh, basically says, I've carried out this heist. Uh, it's, the, it's the perfect heist. And from there, you are taking on a journey from the moment that the heist actually starts. They Basically, he walks into a bank, dressed as, I think he's all dressed up as if he's going to be painting the place. And basically, they take over the bank from there. They unleash smoke bombs. So the place fills up with smoke. And of course, then smoke goes out the front door. And the passing cop sees them. And almost immediately, they're talking within about two minutes of them taking over the bank. The police are alerted to what's going on. So on the face of it, it doesn't look as if it's a particularly well-organised crime because they haven't really given themselves enough time to get in and get out because you're assuming that this is just a standard robbery. So what happens is the the main hostage taker goes outside and says, we have hostages, don't come near the bank. And that's where it all kicks off from. They, they bring in hostage negotiation team, which is headed up by Denzel, so you know you're in safe hands with him. He is uh, a sure and steady figure. And the drama unfolds in a way that you think you know what's going on and then you don't really know what's going on. There are a lot of elements in this that have been taken from other similar type of films and there are things in it, especially there's a part where all the hostages are told to strip off their clothes and put on boiler suits and hats, which reminded me of the Spanish drama Money Heist, which is on Netflix at the moment. I think that's going into its fourth season or something. It's a very similar setup to that and it plays out in a similar sort of way as well. It's a cracking movie because everything that you need to know is there, but it's not all to the the fore, and you really need to keep watching it in order to get what's going on. Unlike your previous pick, it's a, Thomas, it's a film that demands that you watch it again just to actually figure out what's going on and catch everything what's there, as well as the main plot points there is a a side plot where the Christopher Plummer character who's the head of the bank is at pains to protect one of the safety deposit boxes which is in the bank because it holds 
relatively sensitive information. So he brings in Jodie Foster as this high-powered negotiator to try and smooth things over and make sure there's some sort of successful conclusion, which may or may not involve the survival of the hostages. It's more concerned with the reputation of the bank. It's a smashing film. It's one I've watched a number of times and it immediately sprung to mind when we were talking about doing hostage films and I actually thought one of you would have chosen it before I did, but there we go. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised at that because it's a very much a mainstream Spike Lee film. He... I was say, it doesn't sound like a Spike Lee movie, yeah, I no. have to say. You're just no, it. It's, it has a political aspect to it in that it's obviously set in New York and it's got to do with the fact that there are certain powers at play in order to protect reputations, but it doesn't have the the same racial overtones that he, he normally insists in having in his films, which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's something you would put, put you off. It's a different type of Spike Lee film. It is more of a sort of a studio production and it is obviously it's, it's a very high level cast there's a lot of well-known people in it so it is different in that respect but he had proven up until that point that he could basically do any type of genre so the fact that he jumped in and did a crime thriller was no surprise to anybody it works very very well it's particularly well directed as i say you're you're not spoon-fed everything you, you do get some elements of it to begin with. There's a, a nice crossover with Pelham 123 and at the start of the film over the credits is the gang getting together and uh, working their way towards the bank and all that unfolding. But after that, yeah, just goes off on its own. Works very, very nicely indeed. Yeah, I remember the film when it came out and uh, I remember my mate went to see it and he really liked it. And as you mentioned, it doesn't seem like a kind of typical Spike Lee movie. It's a cracking cast, but yeah, it's just when it kind of passed me by. I never did get around to see it. Yeah. Well, I watched an HD DVD last night, <laughs> <laughs> which is, shows the age of it as in 2006. But yeah, all very good. Okay, Mary, your last choice, please. My last pick is actually a film that I... I don't like, I just couldn't think of any other hijacking films. I'm going to go with um, 2018's Entebbe, or sometimes it's known as Seven Days in Entebbe, starring Daniel Brühl and Rosamund Pike, and it obviously tells the story of the 1976 Air France flight that was hijacked on its way from Paris to Tel Aviv. Daniel Brühl stars as a sort of, he's, he's the hijacker of the plane, and he wants to bring the plane down in exchange for Palestinian freedom fighters or terrorists depending on your political persuasion it's just a kind of odd movie that's not really marked by the sense of urgency that you would expect from such a massive historical event and in fact it opens and closes with this really bizarre like modern dance sequence and I I, I was watching it going have I have I missed a metaphor I don't I don't understand what this is about. And then it just sort of, after, you know, five minutes of modern dance, just sort of bursts into this sort of title card where it's like, you know, Israel was recognised by the UN and it's been involved in various land conflicts ever since. Then it launches into the the hijack and, and you've got all these people sort of, and they're brought off the plane and all the hostages are in the room and some people are crying and some people are injured and it's obviously very hot. And then there's sort of conflict between... Daniel Brühl and Rosman Pike's character because they can't quite agree on the way the hijacking should go or what the outcome should be but it just and I like Daniel Brühl so I really wanted to like this film but it just it's, 
it's maybe what you were saying, Thomas, about the 7500. It's not got that kind of sense of urgency or it's not tense enough and it doesn't really hold your grasp, uh, your, your attention rather. But I wanted to go and see it because I was interested in the actual event itself. And I hadn't, there's quite a lot of films made about Entebbe, which I didn't realise until I went to see this. But it just, yeah, it's a kind of bizarre one. You would not automatically go, do you know what, I'm making a movie about a hijack situation. Modern dance. That's how we'll do it. And it's a weird one because it's directed by the guy that does Narcos. So you, I w- went into this thinking, you know, violence, you know, the sort of the really good hand-to-hand combat and all that sort of thing that you'd seen in the, the Netflix show. But yeah, it's a kind of, it's a weird one. Maybe some people will watch it and like it. It's, it's the, literally, as I say, I don't want to watch a lot of hijack movies because I don't like planes. <laughs> so that's the only one I could think of. But it's just, it's an odd one. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but... It didn't really do anything for me, but maybe maybe you have seen it and you, you liked it. I wanted to see it, but it again. I wanted to go and see it, but it came out of cinema and just didn't get around to it. Mm-hmm. I actually reviewed it for the site. I'm just having a look over that just now. I was slagging off Austin Pike's accent <laughs> and the fact that the dialogue looks like somebody has swallowed somebody's university politics thesis. So clearly I was <laughs> loving it when I came out that. <laughs> But yeah, as I say, I just picked it because I couldn't think of another one. But it's I, I, I would recommend people watch it because I'm intrigued to see what other people think. But it, it, it was a bizarre one for me. I do like the fact that you've picked a film here that you've not necessarily been a fan of because it does kind of put a different dynamic on the choice of... It, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a top three hijack movies. I mean, it's a top mm. three you've seen. <laughs> this is number three, but... It's, well, in fairness, uh, I have seen four, but it was the other one was United. Oh, actually, two because I seen United ninety three and the Taking a Fell in one to three. But you guys snaffled those, so I was like, shit. <laughs> I I had to look up why there was dance in this. Mm-hmm. And apparently, one of the characters in the film is a dancer in the troupe, which is a bit of a tenuous link as far as I'm concerned because they don't dance during it. But yeah, that's why it's an interpretation of some of the elements of the whole thing which yeah I know it, it passed me by at the time as well I'd actually forgotten there was modern dance in it but as soon as you mentioned it I got the the picture of the the semicircle of all the dancers ah, yes yeah started off like something at Suspiria it was weird <laughs> <laughs> initially I, I was kind of wrong-footed with this film because I thought it was going to be a certain type of film in terms of a, a hijacking hostage type of film and it didn't turn out that way at all there was a bit of as you say yeah somebody had basically just taken a political manifesto and (laughs) made it into a screenplay I did like certain elements of it I liked the the fact that once they actually landed in in Tebby and the thing started to play out from there the the two German characters Mm -hmm. were really conflicted They, they they really realised that they were totally in over their heads. This is not what they signed up for. Yeah, was, I mean, it shows Daniel Brill like was very good in it. Yeah, he's excellent. And it shows you like a flashback. They're sitting in some grotty bed set and they're like, oh, you know, we think that the world should, you know, like students, we think the world should look like this. And all of a sudden they're like, shit, we've got like 50 people or whatever it is. And we're demanding that these people be released from prison. And we didn't, you know, did we want to go this far? And there are certain elements of it that are interesting. And I do, I really love Daniel Brill, but... I just remember coming out of the cinema going, yeah, I'll probably watch one of those other films about Entebbe and see if that was, <laughs> see if they're better. Yeah, I wasn't so taken with the Rosamund Pike character, basically because there was uh, a certain element to her character and the fact that 
she she missed her was it her boyfriend or something that mm-hmm. she she'd left in order to do this and the way that they communicated during the drama I felt was a bit forced and a bit obvious it, it didn't work very well I, I didn't have too many problems with her character in general in terms of her accent and everything she's a, an excellent actor which she has put oh, no, I thought I thought she was okay she didn't have an awful lot to work with <laughs> I've, I'm, I've seen her in a few things now. She's been taking on quite a lot of roles that are historically true, as in it's people from like like Marie Curie. She was that, and there was the the reporter that she was in. Is it Marie Helvin? Oh she yeah, played that's her. Right. Yeah. Those are both excellent. She's very good in both of those. Very intense, and I've listened to a couple of interviews with her. And she obviously takes it very seriously and does her homework and all these things. But yeah, the, the film itself didn't work particularly well, unfortunately. It's not one that you could really recommend to anybody. I'm surprised that you couldn't come up with a, another film that you've seen. I swear, <laughs> you knew I was clutching at straws at Die Hard because it's not a hijack movie. And I was like, God, I really haven't seen a lot of these. And then like, I was looking stuff up and a lot of them was like, were all set on planes. And I just, I, I do not watch these films, so I was really struggling. But, I mean, dear listeners, if you want to go and watch it, you know, have a think about it. It definitely puts its politics front and centre. And if you're into modern dance, maybe this is the hijacking movie for you, but it wasn't for me. Okay. Thomas, are you going to lighten the mood with your final (laughs) choice? I am, yes. I thought I would leave arguably the best to last in my choice. I went with 1994's Speed. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? No. Are you in short? Yeah, why? He's the only solution. We just got a ransom demand from your terrorist. Says he's rigged the city bus. Where's Jack? Where do you think? Stay on or get off. Get off. Starring Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper and Sandra Bullock. Dennis Hopper plays a mad bomber, i.e. a white terrorist. And he plants a bomb on a bus when demands a ransom. Now... He the thing is why it's a hijack movie in this case is he doesn't actually board the bus himself. He plants the bomb on the bus and sits in his wee hideaway and if the bus drops below fifty miles per hour, it'll explode. Keanu Reeves is young, handsome, good guy cop. He boards the bus to try and kinda of get everybody to safety, and Sandra Bullock is just some poor passenger <laughs> who caught the bus at the wrong time. And now has to like uh, take over for the bus driver who's been accidentally shot and drive the bus while well, getting a bit flirty with Keanu in the process. This movie is outstanding. It's one of my favourite action movies. I've seen it multiple times. I could put it on the this, I could put it on today. I still think it would hold up. It's so much fun. It's um, it's exciting. It's tense. It's quite thrilling. The dialogue is legendary. It's very iconic. You know, the whole pop quiz hot shot for Dennis Hopper. Oh, this is excellent. And it's kind of reason Dennis Hopper got a lot of good chemistry. And they're not on screen for a lot of the time. Because obviously he's on the bus and he's in his wee villain lair. 
and yeah i love this movie it's just so much fun i mean all i will say is i do love this movie totally agree with you who doesn't love keanu and who doesn't love dennis hopper like i love dennis hopper being batshit crazy and this is just sort of apart from maybe blue velvet this is like peak (laughs) (laughs) he is particularly mad in it which is always interesting he he tends to he doesn't seem to graduate his performance up into madness he just seems to start there and just keep it sort of peak 11 at all times you know (laughs) which works particularly well it's again along with Die Hard it's one of these films it's iconic there's very little you can say about it that's not positive It, it works on so many levels Sandra Bullock is particularly good in it Keanu Reeves is Keanu Reeves, which is a very good thing. I'll just uh, justify that at the moment. <laughs> and it works. It just, the, the whole concept of it works very well and it sort of rolls along quite nicely. Yeah, you're never bored, and even if there's a few wee dodgy plot points in it, they kind of skip past those quite easily and you're, you're just there for the, the, the whole thrill ride of it. And it's such a good idea that you have to keep the bus going at a certain speed in order to stop it from blowing up just creates tension right away and yeah. everybody's quite on board for it you know it's not quite the same thing when it's a boat though you know as you get that <laughs> no. second one <laughs> uh, the, the less less of the second one the better but as you say John, it's, it's a very simple idea and the fact that it's a bus really makes it interesting it's not the most easily maneuverable vehicle to get mm-hmm. through LA traffic and the 50 miles per hour seems like a strange because it doesn't sound that fast Mm-hmm. But it's a bus yet again, so it does really kind of add different dynamics to it. What I did find interesting about this movie is the screenwriter Graham Yost. He was influenced by a 1985 film called The Runaway Train starring John Voight. Now, this movie came out in 85, but it was based on a screenplay by Akira Kurosawa about a runaway train. Now, the screenwriter's dad actually told him about this movie, but he mistakenly believed a bomb was on the train, which gave him the idea. There is actually a film from 1975, a Japanese movie, interesting enough, which is clearly combined the two. He's fought Akira Kurosawa in this movie called The uh, The Bullet Train, which is essentially the same plot. It could easily just be a remake. (laughs) And nobody ever really mentions that. (laughs) But another thing I find interesting about this movie is that Joss Whedon has got a lot of uncredited screenwriting on this. He's reported as writing something like 99% of the dialogue most famously, including Dennis Hopper's lines. How on earth are, are you uncredited for writing, like, the majority yeah. of the... It's kind of script off in a way, and apparently when this film was first written, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, I mean, I say Die Hard every accent, this is Die Hard on a bus, in many ways. <laughs> it totally um, is. But that was the original... That should have been the tagline for that first piece. It it's Die was. Hard on a bus. <laughs> the, original, the original screenplay was more like Die Hard in terms of Kennedy's character was essentially just John McClane and Stephen Baldwin was offered the role but turned it down because the character was too similar to John McClane. So again, they've done a lot of rewrites in that including with Joss Whedon and made the character less like Bruce Willis basically and more mm-hmm. kind of earnest. And, I mean, Kennedy's is just really, really nice in this. It looks like somebody who really just wants to help people and, you know, it's yeah, it, 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 kind of cough. <laughs> I, it basically is like a documentary. But, yeah, there's a lot of kind of interesting history about this movie. Uh, the director didn't really go on to do a great deal after this. I think the sequel kind of torpedoed his career. <laughs> and 
but the first one, yes, this is a, a brilliant film. And Jeff Daniels is also excellent. And that's a cracking cast. It's a cracking idea. It's a really fun, entertaining action movie that stood the test of time. Just such a simple concept. Where do you go okay. take your choice, John? Something relatively similar, to be perfectly honest. I am going for speed the... Speed <laughs> Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's Speed 3. It's the, the Father Ted episode. But... <laughs> I am going for the 1998 thriller The Negotiator, which stars Samuel L. Jackson, Kevin Spacey, David Morse, Ron Rifkin and J.T. Walsh. This is a film that was touted at the time as bringing together on screen two of the biggest actors at the time in Jackson and Spacey. Jackson is a police hostage negotiator in Chicago who is told by his partner that there is an embezzlement going on where a lot of money is disappearing from the police pension funds and he believes it's people who are working alongside them that are the architects of this. His partner is killed. He is blamed for the killing and he's just about to be indicted when he goes to internal affairs, confronts them and things go out of hand. He And then he actually draws a gun and takes everyone in the department hostage. There's basically about a dozen people in there now. He lets some of them go, locks up all the doors and basically just sets down for a siege. From there, the police are trying to get him out of there or trying to kill him depending on whose point of view you're actually looking at. You find that some of the police are bad, some of them are just stupid, and some of them are just crazy. You don't know who's who, you don't know who are the bad guys, who are the good guys, who you can trust. So you're very much in the perspective of the Danny Roman character throughout the film because he is trying to piece together who is framing him and who is trying to kill him. What he does is he insists that the hostage negotiator comes from outside of the district. And this is where the Kevin Spacey character comes in and starts to negotiate with him. So he's bringing somebody in outside because everyone he knows he can't trust. So he has a stranger inserted into the action so that it's somebody who has no stake locally or he doesn't think has any stake locally and the drama kind of unfolds from there. Samuel L. Jackson's brilliant in this role. He is pretty much the the hostage negotiator so he knows all the tactics, he knows everything that's going on so therefore he's in total command of the situation and the police teams are trying to sort of second guess him, trying to get round his experience and failing miserably. When they bring another hostage negotiator, obviously things change because he is on his level as well. He doesn't do things totally by the book. Mostly he does, but there are certain elements to the reason why he is such a very good hostage negotiator as well. Kraken drama, there's a lot of action in this film compared to the likes of Taking of Pelham 123, for instance, which is more of a, a talky drama. There is action, there's various elements in it, obviously police helicopters. It's set in something like the 25th floor of a building, so there's all that sort of thing going on as well. It works really well. Again, you, you don't know who to trust right up into the end, although you could probably guess round about halfway through based on the type of actors that they actually bring in for these roles because you, certain guys are treated in certain ways. People are 
especially character actors, do tend to get pigeonholed into certain roles. There is a sort of classic bad, bad guy. David Morse is a particular example of this. He started out, uh, I think it was in Elsewhere, he started out as this very sort of gentle doctor and then from there he played a series of bad guys in all sorts of films so anytime he turns up on the screen you've got a natural assumption about him whether this is the case in this film i won't spoil for anybody but it works really really well and i really enjoy this movie have you guys seen it yeah yeah Yeah, we're just not allowed to talk about why i've seen it (laughs) that's a great film uh, the dynamic between Samuel Jackson, Christopher Plummer, sorry Kevin Spacey, is very, very good. Mean. <laughs> the concept idea is you've got this uh, hostage negotiator as the person that has to be talked down, he's the one taking the hostages, and you've got the, both of them playing against each other. So it's a very intriguing idea that's, again, very simple on paper and executed brilliantly. This is a great film. Yeah, it's a really good thriller. I've seen it, I've seen it a few times, actually. Yeah, as you said, John, it's like a test of minds. It's like, because they both know how to play the same game. And you're right, you don't really know who to trust because it's like, can you take what they're saying at face value? Or is there more to this? There's a lot more subtext. It is. It's, a, it's a really good, it's a good choice, a good movie. Yeah, yeah obviously, there's the, the whole thing about Kevin Spacey now. But if you are in a position to separate the art from the artist, then you can enjoy certain films. I am of the opinion that with the, this type of film, it shouldn't be sidelined because of the allegations that have been made against Spacey. You, you, you should be able to enjoy a film like this. Whether that's a popular opinion or not, I don't know, but as a film I did really enjoy. And I, I've watched it a number of times. Again, I, I watched it as homework for the podcast and it, it stands up really well. It's, there's some excellent performances in it. Samuel L. Jackson does have a bit of a dodgy hairdo in it because he's got this chestnut brown dye through his hair, which I think is probably probably because his hair was going a bit grey or something. It doesn't work at all. It looks really, really bad. <laughs> but apart from that, yeah, it works particularly well. Yeah, Samuel Jackson's hair looks better in Captain Marvel than it does here. <laughs> <laughs> and... I forgot he went through that phase of the bad just for men job, actually. (laughs) But it's interesting, just to touch the Kevin Spacey thing, yeah, to to cancel this movie based on him alone, there's so much else that works in it. It'd be unfair to everybody involved in the the movie they've made. Yeah, I'd recommend it. I'd I'd encourage people to go and see this. It's, It's very good. So that was our choices of hostage and hijack films. If you, the dear listener, have any recommendations that you would like to punt our ways, especially for Mary, since she's only seen about three films in her lifetime and she's uh, rapidly running out of topics to (laughs) talk about. (laughs) I have seen loads of movies. It's just that, like, not ones that I could... A lot of it's just German World War II films, okay? And there's only so many podcasts you can do on that. She couldn't think of any... 1930s so, silent German expression for movies about hijack themes. No, I mean, they do take a lot of like, pretty young girls hostage and tie them to railroads, but no, no hijacking, I'm afraid. So, yes, please do get in touch. It would be interesting to hear what your takes on this are. This is obviously our 27th 
podcast now, so we are maturing nicely, I would say. We are always on the lookout for films that we can talk about and topics that we can address with those. So if anybody has any thoughts, anything they would like us to talk about, especially during these times when there are no major cinema releases on the horizon, please let us know. We are on all the normal social media channels at Movie Scramble and you can get us on podcast.moviescramble.co.uk. You can also find us on Spotify and on YouTube as well if you want to leave some messages there. That would be absolutely lovely. Now, obviously, this is us reaching the end of the podcast, but before we go, there was a, a bit of a mini trailer dropped just yesterday and it's for the, the famed Snyder Cut of the Justice League film. This has been much t- talked about and debated over the last couple of years, ever since the, the film actually hit cinemas. Guys, I take it you have seen this trailer. What did you think about the content of the trailer first and the whole background to the Snyder Cut in general? I mean... The, when I seen yesterday that a trailer had been released or anything had been released, I was all over it like a, a rash because regardless of the popular opinion with the DC movies and Zack Snyder, I've enjoyed them for the most part. Uh, I, I find the kind of movies when you first watch them, you go, oh, they're not really good, but they do age quite well. And once you get past the fact that they're not Marvel, they're not perfect, they're definitely works in progress, but they're very, very ambitious and nothing more ambitious sounding than the, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I mean, I think apparently it was supposed to put three movies at one point as well. And it was two parts, and he had this seven-movie plan that it started in Man of Steel, and there's some things unexplained in Batman Superman. It was intended to explain for, it was It was in it for the long haul. It was long-form storytelling, but it didn't work out that way. I don't think this is ever going to live up to the hype. It's impossible. It just can't do I don't know how, from a production point of view, it's going to look. I know he's been given some money to finish it. I don't think it's going to look disjointed. I think there's going to be something coherent to it. I'm optimistic that it will be good. I don't think it's going to be groundbreaking. I am looking forward to it. I'm intrigued more than anything. I mean, I just I love the I'm a pure DC fanboy. So I seen the clip of the trailer and I saw that Dark Side was going to be in it, and I just thought, why, was, why wasn't he the villain? First time he, they've been hitting him, and then they bring in his his henchman. He's just like, ah. I know. I, I'm intrigued. I'm very, very intrigued. But I'm not going to lie. I'm excited at the idea of it. I yeah. obviously haven't seen Justice League, but I obviously know about the sort of social media furore surrounding all of this. And part of me is like, do you know what? If there's enough sort of clamour for attention, which there has been for a long time, just give the people what they want. Just you know, release this movie, whether it's VOD are in cinemas, obviously not in cinemas up here since we are still pretty much chained inside our homes. But I don't know if it's going to fix the problems. And as you said, Simi, I don't know if it's going to live up to the hype because people have sort of in their head conjured almost like an entirely different film from scratch, which I'm quite sure this isn't going to be. But yeah, I mean, if, if that's what people want, just just give them it, just release it and, and see what happens. Because if it's good and people react positively to it, then great, DC can continue to make these movies. But I think the issue is they will always be compared to Marvel. Marvel have had this sweeping success for the past you know decades or whatever. They're absolutely cleaning up in terms of superhero movies at the moment. And I just feel like no matter what DC do, 
they're never either going to live up to Marvel, Marvel, sorry, or they're always going to be living in the shadow of the Dark Knight trilogy. And that's why I'm just not convinced that this Snyder cut or whatever is is ever going to, it's not going to fix the, the issues that they have. No, and it's interesting as well because there was a time when Marvel was second to DC, uh, not mm-hmm. only in the Absolutely, comics yep. but in, in the movies. So there's nothing it's prevented from swinging another way, especially the, the Avengers saga has officially ended, and that storyline. Yep. has been wrapped up. I know they've got the next phase, but for all intents and purposes, it's the end of an era. There is nothing to stop DC from regaining the momentum. I don't think they're going to do it with a Snyder Cut. Uh, it'd be nice. DC have kind of went off on their own little thing now, and obviously Birds of Prey and Shazam are still connected to this expanded universe. They've really kind of phased out that idea of everything crossing over. There's obviously yeah. references in that and the characters are still tie in, but they've kind of went the opposite way of Marvel by starting big and now branching out where Marvel brought them together. And obviously DC or Warner Bros are doing the kind of standalone stuff with like Joker and how successful that was. Yeah. That's why something else here and it's gone. But yeah, it's not the idea of the Snyder Cut isn't even a new concept. But we discussed in the Hellraiser special part two, the Hellraiser 4, there's a cut out there of a director's own vision. Now, we know about director's cuts. You sometimes see yeah. them. With Heroes of Four, it's part of an entirely different movie. Some of neither cut. David Fincher said Alien 3 isn't the movie he made. There's another movie there somewhere uh, that we'll never see the light of day. But the time at DC, it was already happened with Superman 2. Richard Donner made Superman 1 and 2 back-to-back, but left during the production of Superman 2. Richard Lester came in used about 50% of Donner's footage in his own movie. And interestingly enough, he took a more serious movie and had a lot of comedy to it, which Joss Whedon was also criticised for when he took over Justice League. Mm. Now, years, decades after that film was released, we eventually the Donner cut of that movie was released. And when you compare both movies, I don't really think one's better than the other. There's bits in the Donner Cut I prefer, there's bits in the Lester Cut I like. So, But you watch the Donner Cut, it doesn't feel disjointed. There's still a complete movie there, and I think the Snyder Cut will do something similar. I don't think it's going to be groundbreaking, but it will provide a good alternative for fans in much the way the Donner Cut did to the Lester Cut. So there is precedence for it. People are acting like this is a crazy idea and it's going to just bomb and fail. There's an audience for it, as you mentioned, Mary, and it's gonna, it's got a lot of eyes on HBO Max as well, uh, but it's going to premiere apparently, and how that affects the UK and markets outside America, I don't know. But, yeah. yeah. Because HBO Max is like a premium, like it's like a, like a paid-for streaming service, isn't it, over in America? So I'm not sure. Yeah. Sometimes Sky Atlantic, you pick up their shows, but I don't know how that would work in terms of like actually getting a release. My only thing is, and part of me almost feels bad for people who are so desperate for this this director's cut, it's just like, it's just never going to be as good as, as what you imagined it to be, so... It's almost like I think the sort of the social campaign behind the whole release the Snyder Cut is more exciting for people than the the movie might actually be, and then the, the crushing disappointment of that is going to feel worse surely than the original movie. See, it's interesting. I think the kind of the people behind this campaign to get the movie released, I don't think they're going to be disappointed with anything. No, I think it's made of I think I think they're so entrenched in their belief that this is going to be the the greatest superhero movie ever that nothing will thwart that. Mm-hmm. I think the average public that weren't the biggest fans of the DC movies as Zack Snyder to begin with are probably going to hate it. We get somebody maybe like me who might go, yeah, it was okay. I quite enjoyed that. But 
I think it's, I think it's definitely going to make money. Oh yeah, it absolutely will. The campaign behind it is big enough that there's a there's an as I say there's an appetite there. So there's a curiosity. People are going to watch it whether uh, they want to see it or the mm-hmm. curiosity to it. Are they watching it because they want it to fail? People, either way, people are going to watch this movie. Yeah. It's a very good marketing ploy by HBO Max because they're coming into a very competitive marketplace. And what they have effectively done is set it so that a lot of people will sign up for their service now based on the fact that this movie is going to premiere there. It's going to make them a hell of a lot of money, whether it's good or whether it's bad or whether it's indifferent. Personally, I think it will be okay like you said Simi the fans of it the people who have been campaigning may be disappointed the people who are just just read about it and not particularly bothered will probably think yeah it's all right but there will be people there will be a hardcore of fans who will hate it because it's not what they're expecting it's not going to be the greatest movie of all time and it will be they'll start a campaign of release the real Snyder Cut after the <laughs> yes and we're not even stopping here. There's also calls to release the air cut from David Ayer's Suicide Squad. Now, again, he's a director that's said many, many times that his, the final cut of that movie is not the movie he made. And that was very, very documented at the time, especially when you watch trailers in a movie. The difference in tone, the amount of scenes. Now, those scenes being cut from a movie are quite common. There's entire subplots cut from that movie and changes to the ending. Most famously, the Joker with the burnt face and the grenade. It's just nowhere near the movie. It just doesn't happen. Did Jack and... not say he was surprised to see how little he was in that movie? Yeah, because Cause it's like, is it not like eight minutes in total or something? And he was like, I shot a lot more than that. Yeah, but apparently they've got enough footage to, to make an entire movie for the Joker with that. And the whole screen time thing doesn't bother me too much. If you think of movies like Beetlejuice, for example, where Michael Keaton's barely on screen. He's got he's got something like 12 minutes of screen time. And when you hear that, you're like, no way, that can't be right. But it's, it's how good he is. Even Heath Ledger's Joker isn't in the movie that much for its two and a half hour runtime. Uh, but yeah, Jared Leto's character did get a bit kind of dirty done to him in terms of the editing. And why he wasn't the main villain to begin with. It's a terrible, terrible idea. And one of the director even regrets. I mean, you've got these group of superheroes, who are super villains, sorry, and not many of them have superpowers, but they go up against this goddess. And you've got this ready-made, iconic villain sitting in the background going, hi, guys, just waiting to come <laughs> off the bench here. <laughs> so am I right in thinking that there's no reshoots or anything? It's all just purely post-production? Everything has actually been shot for it. I believe so. There was talks of reshoots originally, but when you get actors like Ben Affleck, whose contract's up and has no plans to return to the role, mm. do you get stand-ins? Do you superimpose his face? I don't know. I think for the most part it is just going to be... I think there's enough footage shot in terms of people and actors. Yeah. And I think it is just. I think the money is there just to finish special effects. All right. I believe Christopher so. Plummer is available in case he's needed. <laughs> No, he's not anymore because he's going to have to reshoot the entire West Side Story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and there is another tale, which uh, let's not go there. We can probably talk about that in the next podcast when the story has developed somewhat. So that's our thoughts on the Snyder Cut. As always, as I have said previously, you can get in touch with us in the usual channels. We shall be back shortly with uh, another podcast i'm not entirely sure what it is at this moment in time but rest assured we shall be back at some point so to the dear listener 
and the dear listener's friend who now downloads the podcast. Thank you very much and keep doing it. It keeps us happy and we shall see you soon. Cheerio. See ya. Bye.